tonight. I'm super excited. I have, how long have we been friends, Tanya Lubis? I think we decided today, 26 years. I've known you for 26 years. Oh, man. Right. No, that's a good <laughs> distinction. We weren't exactly friends at first, <laughs> but I wore her down. Now she's one of my besties. So yes. Tanya is an um, extended member of my family, and I love her, and I've known her forever. She's also accomplished and studied some wonderful things. She has a great story to tell. And it kind of ties into some of the work that Hallie's done with Send Hope. Um, and so a couple, well, it's been like a month ago now or two months, um, we went to the Creative Sela and Tanya and I started talking. She worked, well, will you please tell me the titles of your jobs? <laughs> you have like eight jobs, but they all qualify you for this. True. So I work at Eastern Oregon University and this is my 10th year. And before that, I taught for almost 10 years in Payette, Idaho, and I taught English as a second language and Spanish. And um, at Eastern, I teach future teachers. So I'm an assistant professor in the College of Education, which a lot of people think that assistant professor means like I help people, <laughs> but that's just your rank. That's all about rank. Um, so that means um, I'm like junior faculty, technically. And I also am the director of a center for culturally responsive practices, which we'll probably talk about what that exactly means a little bit later. And I am also the director of an Oregon uh, teacher pathway program, which uh, is a high school to college pathway to become teaching teachers um, and specifically targeting culturally and linguistically diverse students to become teachers. And I also <laughs> um, coordinate our English for Speakers of Other Language program at Eastern. And I am, uh, I was telling Lou that this year I have the honor and I'm continuing on, but I'm a board member under our governor's um, educational equity advisory team. So I have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. Basically means I work in a rural area and do a lot of different jobs for the same salary as one person. So. <laughs> <laughs> With one job title. But you get lots of untitled. Yeah. Yeah. Your business card is like double-sided yeah. and long. It's a yeah. scroll. My email, <laughs> my email, they're like, how many more titles do you need? And well, that's that's my payment. I get more titles. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. more money. More exactly. Well, well, you kind of start whenever I met you, you had just come home from living in Mexico. Okay. Yeah, in high school. Was that kind of where your interest in other cultures came from? Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in, in rural Eastern Oregon, so predominantly white. Um, I am white and um, did not, <laughs> didn't really have a lot of um, exposure to other languages or cultures or anything like that. I actually, in high school, we had kind of a rough upbringing and we ended up moving in high school to a rival town and I hated it and I just needed to get out. And it was it was totally a blessing because a local attorney came to the high school and was like, um, we have this Rotary Exchange program if anybody's interested. And um, my best friend and I at the time were like, let's sign up and go. And so just on a whim, was able to go, but it was so expensive and we couldn't afford it. And the attorney knew that. So he hired me at his office to work in the evenings. And he, back then, which was like 1994 or something, um, he paid me $7 an hour, which was huge yeah. back then. And I would just like deliver things and fill the M&M &M jar and 
answer phones or whatever. I love him. And so, yeah, he's amazing. And his name was Robin Don Collins. Robin Don, Rob and Donna Collins. Oh, okay. And yeah, so it just really went. Yeah, it was not crazy. Like that. It was another yeah. Robin Donna. Yeah. Like, how weird. Yeah. yeah. So. And then years later, I met you, and it's well, I had met you before that, but uh-huh. in the midst of all this, I guess. And Robin Don Collins. Funny. And they had a daughter, Allison, I think. So not Kristen. I don't know what the connection was, but. Anyway, so they were like a total blessing in my life, and I got a full scholarship and lived in Mexico and fell in love with the language and culture, and that kind of started my life. Right. In college, you went back to, where did you go to? Yeah, so then in college, I decided to major in Spanish because I was sure I wanted to be a high school Spanish teacher. I knew I wanted to be a teacher forever, Um, and I was always fascinated since a young age with language and culture, but I didn't really understand it, Um, and I face some privileged things in, in high school because we lived near a reservation and I didn't understand why they were pushing so hard for the Native American kids to get scholarships and why I couldn't get any scholarships. And so I didn't understand like anything behind that. Now, of course, I totally get it <laughs> um, because there's a lot of scholarships available um, for me. But um, then I didn't understand that. And then I went on to college Decided to major in Spanish and minor in music, and I lived in Mexico. I was supposed to just be in Mexico for a semester and then go on to Ecuador, but I never made it to Ecuador because my Spanish competency was so high at that point that they let me take regular um, college classes, and so I was able to graduate early from Pacific University, which was really expensive, so it was a blessing to be able to get done early. Nice. Yeah, which led into, um, I graduated early, I wanted to do the Master's of Teaching program, but I had to wait a semester. I decided it was cheaper to come back, I know cheaper, we shouldn't say that, but more economical (laughs) to come back to Eastern Oregon University and do my Master's there, Um, but the requirements were a little bit different, and my sister lived in Payette, Idaho. My brother-in-law was teaching in Nyssa, um, Oregon. And they said, just come back and live with us. And in Idaho, you only need a high school diploma to substitute, and you have a college degree, so go sign up. So I went to the district office and signed up to be a substitute. And when they found out I was bilingual, they were like, no, we need your help with the English program. And I had volunteered teaching English for a while, but I'd never had formal training. So all of a sudden, I was started into this middle school and high school, half day at each school. Woo! Almost spilled the water. <laughs> um, and, um, like, pushing a cart around and teaching in people's classrooms when they were on their prep period, English. And so it really was not intentional, but the students were taught, I mean, if you don't have your own classroom in your own space, then you kind of feel like you're not welcome. And so we changed that dynamic in the years that I was there, but that's where I really decided, like, I really love teaching middle school, not high school at all. And part of it was I was barely turned 21 and I had 19-year-old students. And that's crazy. I could just, it was not, it was like a nightmare for me. Yeah. And so that's where I found my love and passion for advocating and working with, with predominantly Spanish speakers. Um, and, and for the first time, I think they saw a white teacher, maybe not the first time for all of them, but they saw a white teacher that kind of got their language and culture and spoke their language because I only knew Mexican Spanish. And I had lived in Mexico for two years. So... That was really special, and um, I think I was able to, like, create relationships with families, but then start to hear 
like their concerns and what was going on in the system that I never knew, like all the, the damage that gets caused in education systems for a multitude of people. So I think that just really started my path and journey. And through that, I began like taking classes and getting professional development and I'm constantly learning, but you've trotted the globe like all over the place with your studies and writing and all mm -hmm. the kind of stuff you do. You've also several times gone to Mexico as an interpreter and worker, like just for different missions trips and stuff, which has been like incredible to have like this bridge the per as someone who like understands the culture. And I've been on trips where you're like, don't do that. <laughs> like, this is it's really not like, kind of way. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. Like you, you truly love like the other cultures. And it's like, so we started talking at this Kisela and I'm like, okay, so we're all from the Pacific Northwest. I want to do, um, like my heart is there, but I want to do a podcast on like what we could learn or change by a couple of degrees or, or do better to like understand other cultures and be sensitive and tolerant <laughs> Tanya's like first of all you got to change the conversation from being sensitive to celebrating you're not being sensitive or putting up with something or you're like celebrating other people's cultures and differences and all the color and everything and so that was a light bulb moment for me I was just telling you guys and I've, I've thought about it like constantly since then and so I couldn't wait to come back turn on the microphone, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> and, like, and keep the conversation going. Holly, what do you think? I'm thinking the mic is hopefully yeah. on. Yeah, it's on. Ten-minute introduction. <laughs> no, I think that it is such a good conversation to have, and it's a scary one for me to even open my mouth to because there's so much, like, am I being politically correct? Am I doing this? How was I taught? I grew up in Boise. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I even communicate about these things without sounding like a bumbling idiot? But also, like, I was just reading, I've been reading through Acts and thinking mm -hmm. about, like, when the Holy Spirit fell and then they were, like, speaking in the languages of everybody and the unity that's there. Like, once you can understand and, like, communicate to somebody, it's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. And yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing I've, I mean, from my li limited travel is, like, people are so, like, I guess, excited and tolerant whenever you're just trying a little bit. They mm -hmm. don't expect you to be a whiz and an expert in their culture. They just want to see that you're trying. Effort, that's been my experience. Effort. What do you think, Tanya? Jump yeah, in. I think that's pretty true. I, I think it's, it's a hard conversation because... Uh, where do you the, well, right. And, and as a white person myself, like I'm always having to check myself and learn and like, I don't want to misrepresent anything. And it's also not my story to tell. So mm -hmm. a lot of times it's like letting someone tell their story instead yep. of trying to be the voice and like reinforcing the power dynamic in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I think um, the big piece for me is we can't be afraid. We, we have to come to a point where we don't know what we don't know. And if we're not willing to take the chance and have the conversation and even like make ourselves vulnerable in a way that I'm going to mess up. But I think that's what we do in life. Like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't learn right away. You don't become a master of something and we can never become a master of our own culture, let alone someone else's, which is why I'm opposed to terms like cultural competency because 
there's no measurement of that. Mm -hmm. We're constantly evolving. And just because I belong in the same cultural group as someone else doesn't mean we're identical. Mm -hmm. Um, But that also means that doesn't mean someone who's not part of that cultural group doesn't have anything in common with you. And so I think often it's, it's more fear-based than anything else. And I think that's a big um, critique of actually Americans. Um, And I've, I've, seen there's actually a really good documentary um interviewing international people about america and over and over and over again they say y'all just live in fear Mm. all the time and so it's so true and so but if we're so fearful that we're going to say the wrong thing and we get caught up in like labeling which the united states is so proud of and does so much to, to, to the point of exhaustion box. right yeah. like it, we have to stop putting everything in a box and like try and peel back those layers and then just find out like who are you i want to get to know you like everything else aside that makes you who you are and makes you unique and that's true of all of us but if we let those fearful pieces get in the way, then we never even have the chance to have the conversation, which I think limits us yeah. as, as humans. And I think that happens in any conversation or any walk of life. Um, if you go abroad and you never interact with folks that live there, then you are significantly missing out on a piece of the culture. You're only hitting the tourism piece. Um, and so my experience can be totally different than someone else's. If I'm not willing to, if I'm fearful to say the wrong things, then now I've missed the opportunity to even find out what your story even is. Um, So I think those are the pieces that there's so many other places in life where people are willing to take that leap. Like, I'm going to read a book in a different genre. I'm going to watch a movie I've never watched. I'm going to try, um, you know, kombucha, which... I mean, I struggle with textures, but I'll give it a try. But I won't give it a try to get out of my comfort zone and, like, get to know someone for who they are as opposed to all of the stereotypes that are being reinforced. Or ask, like, is it okay if I say this? Mm -hmm. What do you prefer to be? Right. And then I think the big issue that I have with political correctness is it's not about being politically correct for me. It's about being, I consider myself a humanist. So it's about having the courtesy and respect for another human being. So if I know that something's offensive to you and you've taught me that and I continue to do it, now I'm just being hateful. And and I know now that <coughs> the word is hateful, but it's the same. And I do, I liken it to sin. Like mm-hmm. if I n- don't know that it's a sin, but then I find out it is, and then I continue doing it, then I'm choosing to do that. Mm -hmm. So I am consciously choosing to hurt another individual by continuing to use terms that might affect them. Mm -hmm. And I think as Americans, because I can only speak from that because that's what I am, but as Americans, all too often, it doesn't bother me. So I'm going to continue doing it. Well, it may not bother you. but it bothers someone else. And, and to me, that just aligns so much with Christianity because if I know that stumbles someone else and I continue to do that, then I'm sinning and stumbling someone else. I mean, that's what we're taught. So we know that, like, if you're consciously making the decision, that's do you think what bothers they, me, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Like, it hurts your feelings if I call you Jen instead of Jenny, and I continue to call you Jen over and over again. 
Like I know that's the most simple example I can give, but now I've, Jen doesn't want to interact with me. Jenny doesn't want to interact with me because I am like taunting her. Yeah. It's like disregard for their. So do you think that the internet or like social media helps us stay distant rather than close up? So like, I know people like have a lot of courage to like type a long post on their Mm -hmm. opinions without seeing someone's face to face Mm -hmm. and hearing their personal story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like we are, it's easier to kind of stay in your own house and have an opinion rather than like get up close to someone and learn their name, learn their story, mm-hmm. ask them like about their family. And that to me takes a lot more courage. And, and sometimes I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's like a nice comfy shield to, to have a lot of big opinions, but not be brave enough to get in close with people. Right, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's easy to hide behind a computer screen, to be honest. Um, Late night uh, (laughs) rants. Never mind. And we won't dip into the politics of this. But I I would also say that with the current rhetoric that we're seeing a lot of, some people are feeling emboldened to speak out than when they, in the face-to-face situation. So it could be a positive It could be positive. Unfortunately, more often than not, I'm seeing negative. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think so often people just get consumed, myself included, all the time. I'm so consumed with myself that anything that's different than I am is weird or other or mm-hmm. whatever. But the exact same thing goes to me. And sometimes I tear other people down to lift myself up without realizing it. But it just happens all the time. And I think um, we... I've seen this. I started seeing this when I was teaching middle school too. Just more and more and more boldness behind typed words um, that you wouldn't see in a face-to-face situation. Um, Absolutely. And I think when I teach future teachers, I talk about like even like course evaluations for me. If you're not bold enough to have that conversation with me, if something was bothering you mm-hmm. that much the entire term and you never had the conversation with me, then that's concerning mm-hmm. because how are you going to deal with future students in yeah. that way and parents and administrators? So if you're bold enough to write it down, then be bold enough to have the conversation yeah. with me. And if you're not bold enough, then there's a concern there. I think. I, I think that's human nature, but it's something that I'm working on too. Like sometimes yeah. I, I'm all <laughs> about sure. firing off the long customer service email, but I won't call up and have the conversation. Oh, yeah. So that's another issue. And then I think the other huge issue for me is this deficit thinking, like someone's less than someone is not normal. Someone has, and this goes across the spectrum, like someone has a learning disability. And so they're less than, well, that's not their whole identity. Um, and yeah. so often, like when I'm teaching and, and having conversations, it's let's not forget that we should always put the person first. And so who are they? And then there's, yeah, there's all these other qualities. And we all have those quirkiness and our, or real genuine concerns and needs. Um, I might need assistance with language. I might need assistance with um, I don't know, whatever it is. If you have a disability, I'm. I, though, have deficits as well. We all do. I mean, if it's math, well, that's a struggle for me. So, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that I'm bad at math as all my identity is. (laughs) 
My identity yeah. is so much yeah. more than that. And yeah. so often we forget that it's a person first. It's always yeah. a human. And for humanists, which I believe we should be, even, I mean, I think that's what think Jesus, was, what Jesus a was a humanist. He didn't care about all of that. And then the other piece we talked about, um, at least in, in Christianity that I know, and maybe I could be mistaken, is that there is no hierarchy of sin. So, um, sin is sin. And so if I'm committing a sin and someone calls me out on it, fine, but we're all committing sin all the time. It doesn't make it right. And it doesn't make my sin any better than yours. And I shouldn't call you out to make myself feel better and hide behind my own sin, which we often do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we just see so much. I do. Um, I see a lot of oh, well, so-and-so said this, or so-and-so did this, or I saw it here, which makes it okay, but not owning up to our own sin and our own concerns, trying to constantly look for the excuse, which I think we all do by human nature, Mm -hmm. that at what point do you stop back and step back and say, okay, it's judgmental, or I spoke out of turn, or I said something I've said my whole life, And now I realize that it's totally derogatory to another group of folks Mm -hmm. and I need to work on that. And it doesn't mean you're going to resolve it overnight. Same thing with sense. It doesn't go away overnight, but I should be actively engaged in my own self-reflection and figuring out how I can better serve and how I can better Mm -hmm. be a steward and love people that are in my life. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to like everyone all the time. But it means that if we're not making the conscious effort and it's a constant excuse like, well, it doesn't bother me or I don't know that or I don't see that or that doesn't happen. And it's like it's somebody else's story. And just because their story is different than yours doesn't mean their hardships any different and they don't feel the same way you do. So I think living. Here I, I kind of went all over. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> no. I like I am really interested in hearing about all that. I think it's really um where you started is where I feel like your ending is like fear. Like the Bible says the perfect love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. And there's a, just like so much fear that causes us to like make a snap judgment or react or, um, and, and I do, I feel this like sense of like, there, it would be really brave just to be curious about someone and, and learn there's, there's specifics of what makes them them, you know, um, in their culture. What do you think, Kelly? Gosh, so much stuff that when you were talking, I was like, man, and even thinking about Jesus, right? Yeah. Like the Samaritan woman, she's from a different group of people. Number one, she's a woman. And it's like, don't go to the Samaritans. You're, you're Jewish. Stay over here. But he, he went to the well because he Mm -hmm. wanted to, be with her he mm-hmm. wanted to be with people he already knew her entire story yeah. and it's that that moment of connection and I guess for me that question is like we live in Boise so I yeah right there are wells that we can go to to be with people mm-hmm. but how how do we do that how do we connect with people because if we don't have connection with people because we're afraid or we're not putting ourselves out there because we just like our little surroundings some mm-hmm. people don't want to be exposed to other things. I think right. innately yeah. we're happy with comfortable things, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say, like, what are some ways that we can celebrate, yeah. like, other cultures? Because there's a lot to learn from other people other than right. ourselves, right? Um, right? 
I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that first we have to come to terms with the fact that we're all judgmental, myself included. And I always use the example, like if someone attached a megaphone to my head when I'm walking <laughs> through like the airport or Walmart and the things I was thinking were projected, I'd be real embarrassed. Um, but, and the only reason I preface it was that is then to go into as Americans often when I'm walking down the street, I see someone and I say, Hey, how are you? But do I genuinely care how they are? Mm-hmm. Or am I just time for them to answer that question? Right. Honestly. Right. And so a lot of folks are like, oh, Americans are so nice and friendly in the, especially in like the you know, Eastern Oregon mm-hmm. um, and Boise, Idaho. And but is it genuine? Is what I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to go beyond that, like, okay, here's my comfort zone. <laughs> here's what I always do. How do I engage differently? And that doesn't mean like trying to take on someone else, something that doesn't belong to you. Um, it doesn't Inserting mean like, right. Yeah. Um, or appropriating someone else's culture. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm Mexican. No, you're not Mexican <laughs> because you feel like it. Yeah. Right. But how can I engage more? If I'm genuinely curious, like have a conversation and, and you might be shot down the first time, but think about like I think about myself, like how many times have I like, oh, no thanks, I'm not interested. Um, and how do we challenge ourselves even to take those baby steps to engage with someone, mm-hmm. ask their story, hang out somewhere that you don't normally hang out, um, and genuinely start to make the connections. But but it is hard to get out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, especially if you haven't had exposure. But I would also say that some of our greatest moments of growing happen when you're in discomfort. So in my opinion, that's why when you go on a mission trip, you're often deeply impacted by the experience because you totally went out of your comfort zone and everything you know, and often are humbled, but also called out on some of your biases. Like, why don't they just do it like they do Mm -hmm. it in the United States? Well, because it's not the United States. So, um, and I'm not saying you have to go out of the United States. Like there's pl- plenty of opportunity here in the U.S., but often um, when you're totally t- removed from what you know and you go into this situation of, of the unknown, then you start to question and interact because now, and this is where we talk about, to me, like power and privilege, because now my power is not what it was and where I'm comfortable because I know where my differentials are. Like I'm an Eastern people know me. I'm a professor when, when I'm there, but if I walked on Boise state campus and pulled the, you know, professor card or whatever, it would not be respected anyway, because now I have to learn the systems mm-hmm. of, of that and how to navigate it. And I think if we take, remove ourselves out and, and be uncomfortable <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and explore what we don't know, um, even baby steps, like attending a different coffee shop in a different neighborhood or um, asking someone, hey, I'm really curious to learn more. Are there any events or attending events? There's lots of opportunity here to attend different events and really, yeah, feel that discomfort. Feel what it feels like to maybe be the only person that looks like you in a room or the only person that speaks a language you know. Um, just to have, I think it's just good for us to have culture and environmental yeah. shock sometimes yeah. to check our own development and so that we're not stuck because I think our identities 
and our comfort and our growth as humans is it's evolving. And so it's the same, like, it's not a check on a diversity type situation. It's learning how to be a human and interact with others and truly love. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about doomsday racing. Doomsday racing is really close to my heart because my family and my close friends and people put these amazing events together. We've had them on the podcast to share their story and their heart. Doomsday Racing is a nonprofit organization that puts on races to raise funds for food, education, clothing, medicine, and other basic human needs. Examples of their giving includes an orphanage that it specializes in caring for HIV-positive children in India, and also a feeding program for schools in South Sudan, where there is widespread hunger due to civil war. Doomsday Racing combines their love of outdoor activities and their love of fellow humans into events that they can share with others. Find out more at www.doomsdayracing.com. They have a 12-man, 206-mile relay that happens every August in Northeast Oregon. You can find out more about that race at www.elkhornrelay.com. Also coming this October is a trail run that explores the Red Mountains just outside of Cedar City, Utah. There's a 25K and a 50K option. It's called the Cedar City Thunderbird, and you can find more information about that race at www.cedarcitythunderbird50k.com. You can register today. Follow them on Facebook at Elkhorn Relay or Instagram and Twitter at Doomsday Racing. I hope to see you guys there. Run for the hills. No, and I think you're right. I think... We start there, and that's where we're starting to teach us. I think a lot of public schools in particular have taken on, like, you know, culture parades and, you know, costumes. Well, it's not a costume. It's someone's dress. Um, and then at, at some point, once you get past the baby steps, and it's beyond, like, heroes and holidays, like, what more is there to um, to learn just about, like, the history we never learned in school or, mm-hmm. um, you know, beyond just the celebrations, which can differ from person to person. Um, I think the three of us here could all talk about how we grew up differently and celebrate different things in different ways. But um, then genuinely getting to know folks as who they are. And then, then the problem becomes, which I've seen a lot of, is, well, I'm not biased. I I don't discriminate because my best friend is <laughs> A, B, and C. Well, great. That's your best friend. And they're very unique. But that doesn't mean we don't have biases because we all have biases Um, because we only know what we know. And so if if you don't know something, then you automatically do have a bias to it because it's different Uh, and you might be fearful of it or whatever. But I think, I don't know, to me, that's that's like the key piece is like learning how to be human again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think as Christians, again... I mean, that's what we're taught. It's the gospel of love. It's not the gospel of you're not like me, so I'm never going to speak to you. Because if you did that, then how would you be, um, you know, the legs, arms and legs of Jesus and, and sharing the gospel? If I never got outside of what I know, then what I know is other Christians, perhaps. 
Mm-hmm. And so how do I share Jesus' love mm-hmm. if I'm limiting, placing limitations on the scope of what that means when I don't think we should be in a place to place to impose limitations on that. Yeah. I think that like, I mean, this might be a rabbit trail, but I keep thinking ever since our conversation and a couple more that I've had, I've been praying for opportunities and I cannot slow the heck down like enough Mm -hmm. to look at people in the eyes because I feel like I'm in this dead run. So this girl I met, I ran into her and she had been telling me how she had a really sick son and I said, oh, hey, how's it going? And she goes, oh, my son, my son's here. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, I really, sure. Like, I could, I did not have time, you know what I mean? And so, uh, oh, do you want to hold him? Uh, okay. You know? <laughs> but then I'm like, I'm just in general, like, in a real hurry. Yeah. And this isn't really about culture and race, but I do feel like if, if we slow down, and started asking people questions and had time to like go off of our beaten paths that we would probably be able to kind of put legs to what you're talking right. about. Um, we just, we did, I might clip this out later, but we just had this conversation. My mom and my sister were in Africa for a couple weeks with some other people. And my mom is like safety lady and like caution lady here. But then she goes out of the country and she's like, there's video of her like, riding off on the back of a motorcycle <laughs> with no helmet down the dirt bumpy road. And I'm like, what is the deal? And what did you say, Tanya, that kind of like pertains to this? It's almost like in, it's totally acceptable to live in fear here. And then you go somewhere else and you realize you don't have yeah. control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I'll go outside of my box. It doesn't matter. And she's saying like, she leaves the country and she doesn't buckle up anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes it happens. Like yeah. you cram, you know, five or six people in a cab Mm-hmm. And there's crazy driving and all <laughs> kinds of things happening. And it's not a care in the world. Yeah. Whereas here, you're so conscientious about everything. And I think by the, the nature, well, and it's a nature of, of what makes America so unique, but at the same time, like so many privileges. And I think people are afraid of, of that term, but um, I always use the example of we were going to Mexico and, and crossing the border once with a missions team. And someone was like, you know what? Being born in America is like winning the lottery. And I'm like, you're exactly right. We had no control over the circumstances, the skin in which, the wealth in which, whatever circumstances, we have really no control over that. But how you use that is totally in your control. So, so it's like greater responsibility, right? Right. Because you, you did win the lottery. <laughs> right. And so I don't know why it is when you're out of the safety nets here. And I don't know if that's true of everyone, but I know that when I'm in another country, I am willing to do so many things that I would never do here. Uh, and some of it is just the willingness to actually try new things. And I am very curious about that. Mm-hmm. But also... I don't know. I I think a lot of missionaries do that kind of stuff because they know you have to break down the barriers and make yourself vulnerable. Um, But I think sometimes where we're not so regimented and in our comfort zone and we're not thinking worst case scenario, we actually let ourselves be vulnerable. And sometimes it's for the bad. I'm not saying it's all good. Like, yeah, you could have fallen off the back of the motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Taken yourself out or gotten in a car wreck. But it's odd to me. It's an 
odd phenomena, I would say that you, when you're taken out of your comfort zone, often folks are more vulnerable and willing to experience things in a different way, which is just, I don't know if there's any way to explain it. It's interesting to think of that though, with the flip version, because the pastor who oversees all of the orphanages or homes of hope, as we call them, Mm -hmm. not necessarily orphanages in India came to Boise recently. And over there, you can't, you can't have a male. And so when I went, I made that mistake. I hugged a guy on our team because he was leaving. He and his wife were leaving before. And they're like, oh, sister. But then um, that pastor came here and he was, my coworker said, oh, he gave me the biggest hug. He just kept giving me hugs. So he had the freedom to do that right. here. But thinking of the ways like that esteem, uh, esteem one another higher than yourselves comes to my right. mind. Because when he was here, I was still cautious, like, oh, I don't want to wear this because I don't want to offend him. Or like, is this right. tank top going to be weird? I don't want to mm-hmm. offend his culture because he's bringing that culture with him. And it's yeah, it just, it's got to be kind of a, a wall to hit sometimes when it's so different. But yeah, but I think, and, and again, I don't know if that's always true, but I think we're willing to fumble and make those errors when we're outside of our comfort zone, yeah. but when we're I just don't even know what words to use anymore. So I'm just not going to have the words. And whereas if I'm somewhere else, like I know I don't speak French. And Mm -hmm. so I guess we're just going to have to try and figure it out somehow. Um, And some of it's leaving your entitlement aside, like, well, everybody should speak English to me, but yeah. um, But I think, yeah, again, finding, trying to figure out how to find comfort in your own discomfort and constantly challenging yourself to, um, explore and ask the difficult like if you're generally curious don't think of it there's there's a difference in the wording and the way you ask questions that makes it sound judgmental as opposed to genuine curiosity and a lot of it has to do with the way you preface things but with my students often I'll have an international group of um, students come and talk to like my 100 level multiculturalism class and I'm like ask whatever you want in a respectful way Mm -hmm. and know that often they're gonna be way more comfortable than you are even asking the question and and it's always true and they can pass if they're uncomfortable we've had that conversation but my students feel I don't know it's so weird like have you ever experienced racism (laughs) and they're I mean and they'll answer and they've had these conversations but if we're not like willing to have the conversation in the first place. I know I keep saying that, but I think all too often we've closed the doors before we've had the opportunity to even see them open and they're there. And there's so much like beauty in who we are and and what we bring. And we're made especially that way. And we actually have more in common with folks that maybe don't look like me or speak my language than folks that do look like me and speak my language. And I can learn so much more if I'm willing to make myself a little bit vulnerable to do so. What I'd also say, it's not all butterflies and roses, and I am definitely not a person that at all that's like, oh, if we all just loved each other and we taught kindergartners to love each other, then we wouldn't have the issues that we have today. And there is no racism or there is no bigotry and there is no hate and there is no, none of that is true. I mean, that exists there and 
but we have to do self-work before we can work with others and we have to be willing to learn from other folks but we also need to know that the hard conversations then come later where yeah systemically we do have some major issues that need to be resolved and some of it's the way in which we pass down our biases and beliefs generation after generation and and don't have those conversations. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of times it is true ignorance and not knowing any better. Mm -hmm. um, and other times it's a choice that's being made, which then in my opinion, that's, that's sin. And hate, you can yeah. say it. <laughs> and hate, well, hate is sin. So, <laughs> no. Like it, it is an interesting thing to hear like kids because my kids will ask questions and you've dealt, dealt with this too with your kids and mm -hmm. your niece and mm -hmm. my niece and nephew are adopted and like they look different than than my kids you know mm -hmm. so my kids immediately point out like oh this is our new cousin jeremiah he's got brown skin and they were that's how they were introducing him to everybody knew they were so excited and it was so different for mm -hmm. them the more they actually hung out with him. Mm -hmm. I was just like, this is Jeremiah. This is my, yeah. This is well, my and I, yeah, kids are, are a lot less afraid to say the yeah. wrong thing, so they just say, say it. Well, know? right, and kids, I mean, I, I struggled when I was, because I've done a lot of studying of, of this, but I struggled when I started hearing the term, and I used it, like, colorblind, no, but that's not true. Um, it's actually not true at all. Like I see you for who you are. Mm -hmm. I see your shoes. I see your nail polish or your earrings and your, your curly hair and your skin tone and your tan when you came in. So to say I don't see those is actually ignoring part of who you are and taking away exactly. almost like whitewashing, unfortunately, mm -hmm. who you are as an individual. And all those things make up who we are uniquely and, and very beautifully made. And so we can't deny that. And even when we adopt, I'm adopted. Um, so, it, I mean, this does hit home for me. But even when we adopt children from other backgrounds, it's important for them to know who they are and be joyful in who mm -hmm. they are. And, and that's really hard when you don't see anybody else that looks like you and you don't see yourself in books and you don't see yourself in movies and you don't see yourself mm -hmm. as part of the conversation ever, which I think a lot of our, in predominantly white communities, we see that a lot. Um, and I've had a number of friends, you know, Manu included, where Summer was like, okay, I need, I need some books. I need yeah. some materials. And I think we have more and more access to it. Um, but it's so important because not only do I, as a white person, need exposure to more, but I also need to honor um, the fact that we are each made very uniquely yeah. and, and celebrate that. Well, like the kids, you know, my natural instinct was like, no, you don't have to say that. Yeah. But it's like, well, no, they're noticed that's a very basic like this is a description of somebody and this is how I would describe him right you know just like you said when mm -hmm. I walked in it's like oh you look tan mm -hmm. you know or like yeah. my hair color so not being afraid to right. describe someone for their beauty too and mm -hmm. and stop reinforcing fear yeah so by saying no 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 don't say that now all of a sudden don't talk unintentionally yeah I've reinforced and children that we don't talk about that mm -hmm. and 
what do you mean we don't talk about that? We don't recognize people for who they are and not doing it in a malicious, malicious, hateful way, but in a genuinely loving way. And so I think, unfortunately, just by the nature of the beast, mm -hmm. often we reinforce fears and perpetuate yeah. the continuation of these concerns and issues over time. When you asked about baby steps earlier, the very first thing that came to my mind, I didn't say because I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not an <laughs> but, I am not an expert either. Well, no, you have a lot more <laughs> background and education that goes into your comments. But was like start at the library, start at your entertainment. Like, yeah, I feel like that was a huge missing piece that we didn't know until Manu came home from Africa. Mm -hmm. And we're like looking at all of our dolls and books and TV and like, oh, you know, like, let's go back to the library and pick out some different books. And, like, that was something I'm really happy that I know because I don't know that I would have known it was missing from my life. And it's brought a lot of richness even for my kids. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. And, I th again, it's it's all in the approach. Like, don't come at it. And, and I know that some people are, I mean, they have like battle fatigue and Christians have this as well as like, I'm so sick of, you know, um, trying to explain things to people and trying to minister and trying to, and it's just so dark sometimes. And that's true of like folks fighting for, you know, racial and social justice as well. And it's not because anybody wants favors. It's because they want to be treated mm -hmm. as a human mm -hmm. and he let their story be heard and valued and um, I think that if we come at it from a perspective of um, like looking for something special as opposed to I have every right to see myself just like anybody else does. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and, and again, a stupid analogy, but I just find myself like breaking things down as much as I can sometimes um, because it's how I understand it and it makes sense to me. It may not make sense to anyone else. Um, but even when we were talking last night with Mackenzie and she was like, well, yeah, I paid as much as you did to have the privilege of being here. And I don't have to, because we had a weird incident mm -hmm. at the hot springs yesterday where someone was kind of like dominating and, um, yeah, that's true. And that person was born on this planet, just like you were, and they have every right to be honored and have access to the same things we all do. More importantly, they were so, brought with the same price that you were. Right, you know? right. And are loved just as much as we are. We, And so I think, I mean, for me, that's really important. And then I, I will also say that most of my knowledge and training hasn't come from necessarily a book or classes, um, but really just spending time with people and hearing mm -hmm. their stories and having, like, even my students. Like, I learned so much when I was a middle school teacher and yeah. hadn't even, like, I didn't know how to teach English. I just taught how I learned Spanish. It made sense to me. Um, and then there just happened to be some theories that supported that. But I learned a lot from my students and learned a lot about from their parents. Um, and that's, like, some people would call that like cultural brokering. Um, but again, it's how do you use that power? Am I using that to promote myself? I shouldn't be. It's not about me. Um, but am I using it to truly learn and grow? And I think sometimes even with kids, we forget that we have just as much to learn from them as they do us. Mm -hmm. And that's true of any anyone. Um, even my pastor. My pastor has just as much to learn from me as I do 
him in different ways. Um, and I think we have done that, not at the same magnitude, of course, um, because, but like even when we're in Mexico, we've had conversations about different things and I don't know everything by any means, um, but we have to be willing also to sometimes just like as Christians to have the difficult conversations and be on both sides of that difficult conversation. Like mm -hmm. be receptive once when you do mess up because we always mess up. Um, I said the wrong thing, I, whatever, but also be willing to speak up, um, which often folks are not willing to do. Um, and I've started doing that more with my friends and I'm sure that they're all like, teacher Tanya, as always, <laughs> or, and people use that like, cause I'm, it's called like a microaggression, but they'll use that against me. Like, Oh, well, someone who thinks they're so culturally responsive, which truly means like responding and interacting with your culture, whatever that may be uh, and learning from you and having expectations and wanting you to succeed. Um, I hear like, well, you're not doing that. Um, and so, and that does hurt. And sometimes I'm not doing it and I need to grow from that. But I think at the same time, we have to be willing to, to grow from whatever. And it's not just book work in school and it's not just whatever you do for your job. But at the end of the day, humans are interacting with humans. It's all about relationships. Yeah. So if we're not willing to have those relationships or we've put barriers and what relationships we're willing to have then you've limited yourself and quite frankly you've limited the generations that come after you because now you're going to pass down those same walls that was such a sweet conversation with tanya i just love her so much she's one of my favorites she gave us some really good things to just think about um will you guys share this with someone that you think might like it or any of the episodes. Also, it means a lot to get a rate or a review wherever you guys listen to your podcast. And please DM us and just talk to us. Give us suggestions, give us feedback, tell us your thoughts. It's my favorite hearing from you guys. I hope you have an amazing week.